today uh, we are going to be starting a new sermon series in uh, the book of Exodus. It's, got, it's called With Him because the theme of the whole book of Exodus is that we're saved not just to do something for ourselves, but we're saved to, to serve God, to be with Him, and to walk with Him. Uh, so we're going to be starting our series in Exodus starting from uh, chapter uh, 13, verse 17. So if you need a Bible, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, and Clements around handing up Bibles if you would like a physical copy of the Bible. And actually, if you go on our church website, uh, Alice has designed a webpage that, that gives a summary of what this series is about and gives you a Bible study plan, you know, some videos that you can watch in Cantonese, English, and Mandarin to sort of help you understand the book of Exodus a bit, bit better so that when you come here on Sundays, you'll have a bit more context to, to understand what's going on and, and the truth that God has for us in His Word. And, and there's, a, there's a couple of reasons why we're going through Exodus. Uh, so, so, of course, you know, over the past you know, couple of years, you know, even before I came to, to EEC, there were a lot of changes that happened at the church. And then when I came, there were also more changes. And some of these changes, you know, it, you know, it was God's sovereign work. He brought people in and out of the church. And, you know, some of these changes are, you know, the leaders are, were praying and discerning, you know, what, how, how to move forward in the future. And, and some of these things are, are just, you know, what's happening in Hong Kong in the past year, right? It, it's brought us through so many changes. And we're in this place where, you know, there's a lot of uncertainties. There are a lot of uncertainties for us as a church, you know, for, for Hong Kong in the future. We're not sure what's going to happen. The book of Exodus is a book about how God frees his people from slavery in Egypt and leads them on a journey of salvation. And the destination of this journey was the promised land and a land called Canaan. But God was doing more than just leading the Israelites on a physical journey to a specific location. God was leading the Israelites on a spiritual journey. What God wanted was to restore what was lost in the Garden of Eden. Right? After Adam and Eve sinned, God cast them out of his presence and he cursed the ground so that it would no longer be fruitful and rich. No, it would no longer naturally produce life. Instead, it would produce you know, thorns and thistles. And the promised land was supposed to be the place where God's presence could once again dwell with people just like Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. It was to be a place that was once again fruitful and rich. You know, it's, it's described as a place flowing with milk and honey. But to get to this place, you know, God's people had to walk on the journey. And their progress on the journey wasn't so much the, the physical steps they needed to take to get from Egypt to Canaan. It was the steps they needed to take to live with faith and obedience to God. The journey God led the Israelites through was, was filled with uncertainties and didn't make sense like 90% of the time. But God knew exactly what he was doing. There was a specific purpose to every destination and detail on this journey. There were lessons of faith that the Israelites needed to learn in order to take the next step on the journey of salvation that God was leading them on. Now, the journey that God took the Israelites on a couple thousand years ago, it, it didn't really turn out the way it was supposed to. Uh, the Israelites weren't obedient and faithful followers. Uh, but that too was actually God's bigger plan uh, for salvation for the whole world. Because God's end plan isn't just for one nation to worship Him 
you know, for in one place in the world, you know, it, it's for every nation to be worshiping God throughout the whole world, for His presence to fill the whole earth. You know, the Bible calls this the new heavens and the new earth in the book of Revelation. And for us as God's people to, to get to the new heavens and the new earth, you know, we're called to go on the same journey of faith that God took His people, the Israelites, on in the past. And, and the lessons that God wanted them to learn are the same lessons that God wants us to learn. This is what, uh, this is what the Bible talks, says about the Bible. This is what the New Testament says about the Old Testament. For for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So everything that's written in the Old Testament, in particular this this book of Exodus, is God using it to teach us what it means to be on this spiritual journey. Because we're not actually traveling physically somewhere. Instead, he, he calls us together as his church, as his people, to come together to learn to obey and to serve him. And God uses all of our individual circumstances and all the situations we face as a church to teach us and to grow our faith. And, and that's especially true for us as a church right now in Hong Kong. You know, through these challenges and, the, and all of these changes and all these situations, God is leading us. But we need to have the faith to know how to trust and to follow Him when it doesn't make sense to us. So, so as we go through this Exodus series, let, let's pray together. Let's pray for each other that we can learn and relearn and, and grow in these lessons of faith that God wants to teach us as we journey to the new heavens and the new earth together. Uh, so without further ado, let's, let's, let's read God's word together. Uh, Exodus 13, I'm going to be starting from verse 17. It says this, when, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved from Sekoth and encamped at Etham, on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of clouds to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from people before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piharioth between Migdal and the sea. In front of Baal Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Alright, so what's, what's going on here? Let's just pause here for a bit. So, so a bit of background, that the Israelites had been enslaved by the Egyptians for 430 years, and then God calls Moses to free the people from Pharaoh. You know, Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. 
Pharaoh refuses to let the Israelites go, so God sends 10 miraculous plagues uh, on Egypt until Pharaoh finally gives in and allows the Israelites to go free. So now the Israelites are, are making a journey out of Egypt. And there's a couple of things that we see. The first thing we see is that God's presence is leading them supernaturally. It says the Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. It's, it's the same pillar, but depending on the time of day, it changes so that at all times the people can see God's presence around them. The people can be led by God. It was a manifestation of his presence, a, a very clear sign that God was with them on this journey. And, and there were actually a lot of people. It says there were 600,000 men, only counting the men, plus their, their wives and their kids. So you can imagine how many people are, are, are exiting Egypt. And at this point, uh, they're actually well on their first part of the journey. So the first part of the journey, handy dandy map. Where, yes, this is the map. So they start point number one. And by the time we're reading it in chapter 13, they're already at point two. Now, it doesn't seem that far compared to, you know, the rest of the journey, but imagine just like more than uh, 600,000 people walking, right? It, this isn't like, a, hey, I can walk here in a day. If you're 600,000 people, you're walking, it's going to take a couple of days. So we read in chapter 13, day by day and by night, God was leading the people. So the first thing we see is God's presence leading supernaturally. This, the second thing we see is it's actually a very uh, confusing uh, start to the journey because uh, we're told that you know, there, was a, there was a short way to, to Canaan, but God was like, no, we're not going the short way. way. We're going the, the very, very long way. Uh, and it just sort of doesn't make sense because God told the Israelites, all right, the night before you leave, uh, you've got to make sure you're ready. You've got to be, be in your traveling clothes to eat the Passover because right when Pharaoh says you can go, we're leaving. Right? So he says to the people, we're leaving in haste, and then he leads them the long way around. We also see that the Israelites are, are dressed for battle. Right? I mean, it's not like they had any experience, but whatever they had, they're trying to defend themselves because you know, they're, they're scared. They're scared that Pharaoh will change his mind at any time and, and go after them. So you would think that you know, if this king who has killed your kids in the past and has changed his mind like 10 times in between... You know, when he says go, you're going as fast as you can out of Egypt because he could change his mind at, at any time. Right? That, that's, what, that's what's on the Israelites' minds. Uh, but God's like, nope, we're, we're taking the long way around. And, uh, and more than that, um, God actually, like, takes them to the, he takes them to, the edge of this, to the edge of the wilderness. And then he actually takes them back. So point number three, between that, there was, like, another location so, so, when, so, so essentially, if you read chapter 14, what, what you read, God says, turn back. Turn back the way that you came. And the Israelites are, why are we going backwards? And why are we going backwards to, to the face, the sea, where if Pharaoh changes his mind, we're, we're definitely dead because the sea's there in front of us. So it's a confusing start to the journey. And we read that the Israelites are actually still within Egypt's borders. Right, they've been traveling by day and by night for, for we don't know how long, but it's, it's been more than a couple of days. Still within Egypt's borders. God, what, what, what are you doing? That's a, let's continue to read. Uh, chapter 14, verse 5. All right, so the Israelites are, they, they, they've, they've gone back the way that God told them to, like this 
pillar of fire and cloud has clearly gone backwards. They're, they're camped by the sea. And this is what happens. Chapter 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, What is this we have done? We have let Israel from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600,000 chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Piharioth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the hosts of Pharaoh had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. 
Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So, so let's, let's break down this story so, and think about it. So, so first we see, you know, Pharaoh's pursuit to, to re-enslave the Israelites. And, and it wasn't just the Pharaoh who wanted to go back on, on their word. It was the rest of the Egyptian leaders. You know, they wanted Israel's service again as their slaves. And he sends basically the top class of, of trained chariots, 600 of them, and the rest of his chariots. So there are more than 1,000 chariots plus, you know, the Pharaoh's top-notch uh, you know, squadron pursuing the Israelites. And the Egyptian army was the strongest army in the ancient world at that time. You know, you, you know the, the Egyptians are confident and strong that they'll be able to get the Israelites back just like that. You know, the Israelites are like sitting ducks. They're, they're out in the open, exposed to the sea. So Pharaoh's coming. He wants to enslave the Israelites again. And the next thing we see is that the Israelites are enslaved in fear. Right? Before they're even re-enslaved, they, they cry out to God, but they're not crying out to God out of faith. They're crying out to God out of fear and, and, and unbelief. You know, they believe that Pharaoh had come to kill them. You know, fear blinded them to think that only the worst awaited them. You know, it blinded them to the truth that God had promised to save them from Pharaoh. And we sort of have to think, why, why would the Israelites think like this? They just saw like 10 powerful plagues, miracles that delivered them from Pharaoh's hands. They, they see like God's manifest presence, pillar of fire and cloud in front of them 24-7. You know, how could they so quickly forget what God is doing for them right now and what God had just done for them over the past couple months? And this is what we see. The, the Israelites might have been freed from Egypt physically at this point, but they were still enslaved to Egypt in their minds and in their hearts. You know, you have to think of it like this. The Israelites had lived nowhere else for the past 430 years. They have known no other mode of existence besides slavery. So, so they were trapped with this slave mentality believing that slavery was the only option in life. And, and when they were tested with difficulty, it, it came out in their hearts. You know, they believed that they only had two choices. We're going to die or we're going to serve Pharaoh. You know, th this, this slave mentality was so deeply ingrained into them that, that it influenced them, influenced them at every point that God was trying to bring them out. Right? What, what, what do they say to Moses? Leave us alone that we might serve the Egyptians. Right? When he first came to them. Leave us alone. We want to be slaves. That's who we are. Why are you trying to save us? They, they were basically brainwashed into being servants of Pharaoh. And the last thing we see in this story is that God fully saves, fully redeems Israel by defeating Pharaoh. You know, God's presence in the pillar of fire and, and cloud moves to block off Pharaoh's army as, as it's advancing. And, and God sends a wind to part the seas. And the people start to escape out of Egypt, escape out of the territory of Egypt by walking. 
And you, so you have to use your imagination here. You've got to imagine the, 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 the towering walls of water that are around you. It's not just like a small body of water. It's not like Hong Kong Island to TST, right? It's, it's like there's a body of water and you can't see land on the other side. That's how big the sea is. And, and it's a deep mass of water. And so the water's part. And you start walking. And what's weird is the ground that you're walking on is, is completely dry. So you have to think, man, if, if God isn't for me right now, I'm dead if these waters come back down. So you're walking, you're walking, you're walking. Um, God, God parted the seas for the whole night. So, so imagine you're, you're walking, you're, you're one of the last groups of people. You're, you're, you're on the tail end of this you know, crowd of a couple hundred thousand. You've been walking all night, but now the sun is rising. And, and you're sort of still anxious because you know the Egyptian army is behind you. They could catch up at any moment. But uh, as you sort of come out the other end of the sea, you look back and you see something strange. You see that in the far distance, in that narrow gap, you see that the army is, is trying to go in the opposite direction. You know, God, God has caused them to feel so frightened that they gave up. And then the next thing you see is that Moses stretches his hand out over the waters again and the walls of water come crashing down on the army who is just trying to chase you down. And then the sea goes back to, to normal, like, like nothing ever happened. Just a normal day at sea. So, so, so if I was an Israelite, I would be staying there pr pretty shocked, right? I, I'd be staring at the sea wondering, like, did this actually happen? Like, am I dreaming? But then a couple of minutes later, as you're staring at the sea, you, you know it was real because you see the dead bodies floating up, coming to the shore, those same Egyptians who had enslaved you your whole life. So, so if you were an Israelite in that moment, you know, seeing your oppressors for 400 years, you know, thoroughly crushed and defeated, how, how would you have felt? How would the sight in front of you help you to understand, to really understand in a very real way that you are no longer a slave? That's what it means to be redeemed. See, the parting of the sea for the Israelites to cross and the destruction of Pharaoh's army was God's final, complete, and decisive act of redemption for the Israelites. You know, it signaled to the Israelites that they were no longer owned by Pharaoh as his slaves. You know, when something is redeemed, it, its ownership changes. Well, what happened at the sea was, was basically a battle of ownership for Israel between Pharaoh and God, and, and God won. So with the defeat of Pharaoh's army, you know, it was clear to all, it was clear to the Israelites that they were no longer Pharaoh's slaves, but they were God's people. Before this point, you know, the Israelites were free from Pharaoh's rule, but still hadn't walked away from the borders of his rule and power. You know, before this point, there would have always been a real threat, even if they had exited Egypt the, the short way, that Pharaoh could come at any time to, re to capture them again, to re-enslave them. But by closing the sea and defeating Pharaoh's army at the same time, you know, God was showing to Israel in a real and powerful way that the Egyptians had no power over them anymore. You know, there was no external power that could enslave them ever again. The army was defeated. The way back to Egypt supernaturally closed back. The Egyptians saw, the Israelites saw the Egyptians and knew for certain that they were saved. The past is in the past.
the only power that could re-enslave Israel and bring them back to Egypt at this point was a sin in their own hearts. Their temptation not to trust God's promises of salvation and willingly go back to Egypt. And, and that brings us to, to the heart of our passage this morning. It's this. Live victoriously over sin, death, in the world because God has redeemed you. Live victoriously over sin, death, in the world because God has redeemed you. See, see, what God did to redeem the Israelites of the Red Sea is a picture of the greater redemption that God brought for us through Jesus' death and resurrection. You know, coming out of the Red Sea, the Israelites were literally walking away from an old way of life into a new mode of existence. You know, one where they were no longer slaves to Pharaoh, but God's people. And in a similar way, when we believed in what Jesus did for us at the cross, we were redeemed. And, and our baptism is a testimony to everyone of how we have crossed over the sea spiritually. It's an expression of our willingness to let go of our old way of life and walk into a new way of life. One where we can walk in victory over sin, death, and the world. Because the Israelites' redemption, it, it was more than just freedom from forced labor. Right? It, it was freedom from the world of Egypt, you know, from the gods that it worshipped, from its culture, its systems of morality, its lifestyle. You know, after more than 400 years, you can imagine how Egyptian the Israelites actually were. You know, how much they identified with the Egyptian world, so much so that they were okay with being its slaves. And God was trying to wake them up to the truth in a, in a radical and powerful way, you know, showing them, you know, you're not slaves anymore. You're not Egyptian. You know, Pharaoh doesn't own your life. You are a distinct people. You are my people. You have your own land. You have an, an, your, an, your own identity. And you have a new way of life. And what God wanted the Israelites to learn is the same lesson of faith that he wants us to learn over and over again. You know, as Christians, we are, we are God's people. God owns us. We're distinct. We're, we're, we're different. We've been redeemed from our old way of life that was enslaved under the power of the world, characterized by sin and death and evil. We've been called into a new way of life. See, see, the point of application for those of us to trust, who have trusted in Jesus for salvation this morning is not that we have to believe and to wait for God to take us through the Red Sea and to deliver us from Egypt in the future. It's to live in the truth that God has actually redeemed us. He has already won the battle. You know, you know for Israel, Egypt was behind them. There was no way for them to go back. And that's true for every Christian who genuinely believes the gospel. We've been redeemed from sin and death and evil and the powers of the world. There, there is no way for us to, to go back to living under those powers. You know, the only way we can go now is, is forward. To discard the habits of our old lives and to take on the habits of our new life. The question is how? how? How do we do that? How do we do that? Uh, so for the past 10 years, or over the past 10 years, um, 
more and more work and awareness has been uh, done in the area of, of fighting uh, human trafficking, sex trafficking. Uh, you know, it's a horrible, twisted system that it, it reaches every part of the world. And many Christians are at the forefront of this movement to, to rescue and to restore uh, the victims of, of human trafficking. And there are many powerful testimonies of, of women who have found hope in the gospel through, through being rescued. But, but, but it, it doesn't happen overnight. It's actually a very long process. And, and many times, even after being rescued and placed in a safe environment, some women end up going back to their previous line of work. You know, th their value and worth have been twisted by an abusive environment for, for so long that, that it, it shaped their very mentality and identity of, of who they are. So, so Evelyn's cousin-in-law uh, actually uh, does work with uh, sex trafficking victims uh, here in Hong Kong with a Christian organization called um, Sons and Daughters. Um, so most of these women um, who are caught up in the sex trafficking in, in Hong Kong or come from a Southeast Asian background. So Sons and Daughters works with these women to bring them into a safe environment, uh, teach them skills that they can use to make a living uh, apart from their you know, old line of work, and, and to integrate them into a community of their choice. And one of the skills that the woman can learn is, is sewing, uh, and Evelyn knows how to sew, so she's had a chance to work with some of these women a couple of times. Uh, so she was sharing with, with me one day some of the things that uh, these ministry workers do to try to uh, restore uh, these women back into uh, a new way of life. Uh, and it's actually very simple things, things that you wouldn't think are, are like important. Uh, things like asking them what they would like to drink and telling them that they can't let us, they can't leave it to, up to that person to decide, right? The women have to, are basically brought to a point where they have to choose something, right? Here are three choices, choose what you want to drink. Don't leave it up to me. Because these women have been in an environment where they were controlled for so long that they don't even know how to make choices for themselves. See, human trafficking is a, is a clear manifestation of the systems of sin, death, and evil at work in the world. And in ways different, but also similar, every single person on earth is enslaved by these powers. And God is saying to us as his people, these powers don't own you anymore. And so the first step for us is to start thinking differently. You know, that's what it means to live victoriously. To live victoriously means to believe, means to tell yourself, you know, I am not enslaved by these things anymore. God has redeemed me. You know, Jesus has destroyed the power of sin and death over me through his cross and resurrection. I am not trapped. I am not stuck. I now have a choice to be free from these things and to take small steps to realize how free you already are. Let me put it another way. It's like we've been trapped in a dark prison cell our whole lives, and one day the prison doors open and we're told, you're free, you can walk out now. And in that moment, you're actually free. The moment you come to faith in Christ, the prison doors are open. But to actually experience that freedom, you have to choose to actually walk out of those doors. You know, what's keeping you from doing so is your own belief in that truth. 
And that's the same for us as Christians and walking into freedom that Jesus has given us in the gospel. We've been redeemed at the deepest level, but are we willing to walk out? And for us, we've been enslaved by the powers of the world of sin for so long that we're not actually aware sometimes of these slave mentalities that we have in our hearts and in our minds. You know, what are examples of these mentalities? Well, let me share a couple of examples, and maybe they'll help you think of maybe some of the own that you have in your heart. And I think the most relevant example is something we've been praying about since this morning. It's, it's, uh, it's this fear of death. I'm going to read to you from Hebrews chapter 2. He, speaking of Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. See, the whole world is in slavery to death, and that expresses itself in fear, you know, fear of dying. You know, living in fear to all the threats that can come to your life. You know, social unrest, war, disease. You know, to be enslaved to death is to let fear of death drive your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, and your decisions. Those who live in fear of death, they, they will go to extreme measures to preserve their lives and to protect themselves at the expense of others. And it's something we've been seeing in, in, in Hong Kong the past couple of weeks. You know, people are, are so scared of getting sick and dying, you know, of the uncertainties of what might come that they'll line up for 18 hours to get masks to protect themselves. You know, they'll hoard all the essential items at the grocery store for, for themselves. You know, I feel like people are treating it like it's a zombie apocalypse or like World War III has broken out, right? It's a... and, and at the heart of this frenzy is people living in fear of death. You know, it actually owns them. They can't help but let fear drive them to do these things, no matter how much you tell them. Maybe you should, you know, think about it a different way. Now, now, now I'm not saying that we shouldn't be careful and cautious and be a, more, a, little, be a little more prepared. And, and I'm not saying that those of us who are live streaming right now are, are enslaved to fear. Okay, let's get that straight. You know, there, there are good and God-honoring reasons for why a Christian might choose to stay at home at, at a time such as this. But, but the heart of the matter is, you know, is fear driving your life? Because whether you're sitting at home right now or whether you're sitting here and walking about, you know, fear can still own you. Fear can still own you. And, and if it is at, at, at any level, the good news of the gospel is you are free from it. Jesus has freed us from slavery by the fear of death. You don't have to live in fear of death your whole life anymore. You don't have to let this drive the way you think and work and do things and relate to people. Because it's, it's actually horrible. You know, living in fear of death drives you to live selfishly, trying to preserve your own life instead of living in love and faith towards others. And, and living in victory over this is, is what countless brothers and sisters have done. Even now in Wuhan, I was reading from the Heart Crime Missionary Society, they have links to pastors in, in, in Wuhan that there are right now pastors, they're, they're like, you look at pictures of them, if you think they're like, uh, you know, like uh, health workers, but they're not. They're like in a full body suit and they're out on the streets every day, they're preaching the gospel, handing out tracts, handing out masks, and, and people are listening. The, a couple of policemen are, are coming and talking to them frequently and, and they have positive views about these Christians. You know, in, in the 2nd century AD, a, a deadly plague bro broke out across the Roman Empire. 
and 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 this plague is believed to have what be what brought down the Roman Empire. Uh, at the height of this plague, okay, this disease plague, there were five thousand people dying per day in the Roman city of in in, in, Ro- in the city of Rome alone. And it's actually during this time that Christianity spread because Christians decided not to preserve their own lives in fear, but to step out in victory over it. You know, they essentially became the frontline nurses of those who were dying from the disease. And then through their service, many lives were saved and people came to faith in the gospel. And now, now there's a lot of research done, but, but to summarize it, you, you can do your own research for sure. Um, the areas where there was a strong Christian presence going out to serve these diseased communities, there was a noticeable decline of the people who actually died from the disease compared to areas where there were no Christians. You know, this is a victory over death that God has given to us. You know, it's not that like, these Christians were more holy than us or better than us. It's not that they were any more free than us. They simply walked into the freedom that Jesus bought for them at his resurrection. And each of us in Christ today, we can choose to live victoriously over fear, just like our brothers and sisters in the past, just like our brothers and sisters all over the world. But we need to look at what God has done for us and in faith start to walk out of the prison cell that we've been sitting in. And, and, what's, and what's true of, of the fear of death is also true for sin in our lives as well. Right? We're free from the power of sin. You know, for, for death, shall no, no, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. You know, in our hearts, in our minds, we, we look at all the sin we have in our lives and our first response is, it's too much, I give up. We tell ourselves, I'm never going to change. This is just who I am. I just got to wait till I, I die and go to heaven to be with Jesus. And it's actually this belief that hinders you from finding greater and greater freedom from sin in your life. You know, to, to live victoriously doesn't mean that you're perfect and you, ne- you never sin. To live victoriously is to live knowing that sin doesn't own you because God now owns you in His grace. And so when you look at sin in your life, you're not hopeless, but you're hopeful. And when you have, that, that's the step one of being free from sin is to have the mentality of victory. That even though you, you see yourself sinning, you, you've sinned yesterday, you, you tell yourself, I am victorious because of Jesus on the cross. And you can start to walk in greater and greater freedom over sin. Now there are a lot of other things that I can examples I can give, but hopefully this starts to help you think, what does it mean to, to be redeemed? What does it mean to be redeemed over the fear of death? Because at the heart of it, it's a it's a mentality change. Let's take a look at chapter fifteen. Verses 1 to 3. So chapter 15 is a song of of celebration and remembrance of chapter 14. It's it's a song that gives the Israelites the right perspective of who they are and what God's done for them. It's a song to help them to understand their new identity as God's people. Right In chapter 14, they're living as slaves, and afterwards they see God's deliverance, and and Moses writes this song to, to remind them who they are and what God has done for them so that they can walk on this journey of faith. This is what chapter 15, verses 1 to 3 says. I I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. See, this is a song 
telling the Israelites who they are, what God has done for them, who their God is. He's a strong and mighty warrior who has redeemed them and delivered them. The Lord is their strength, their salvation, their song. And they were to sing this song over and over again to remind themselves, this is who I am. And that's what we do when we, when we gather every Sunday morning. We remind ourselves who God is. We're free in Christ. And that's what we do when we gather together in small groups. When we, when we spend personal time reading the Bible, we're reminding ourselves. We're renewing our minds, freeing ourselves from our slave mentalities. And, and, and we sing about it. We sing about this story, right? We sing songs like, you know, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Or, or, or maybe in Chinese, right? But life is, a, it's, you made it so legendary, so miraculous, this story. And we sing it in different languages because this is the truth that we need to remind ourselves of again and again and again. I just want to end with reading the last part of chapter 15, and starting from verse 13. You have led us, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard they trembled, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now the chiefs of Edom are dismayed, trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away, terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are as still as a stone, till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you purchased. You will bring them and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which you have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. See, these things haven't happened yet, right? But God is showing them through this song, you're going to walk victoriously over any opposition from now on. I'm going to bring you to my heavenly dwelling. See, see what God has done for them at the Red Sea was to give them confidence that whatever comes ahead, God will take them through it. And, and, and that's the same for us. We're on this journey. We're to look back at the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, and that's going to give us the strength we need to, to face whatever God is taking us to in the future. It was a confusing journey. It was, it was a confusing start, but God showed them that he was leading them. And so for us, as we continue in the book of Exodus, let's, let's see what lessons of faith God has for us as, as a church community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that you have redeemed us. Help us to understand what that means more and more. Help us to live in the freedom and victory that you have bought for us, God. Help us to just sing, sing songs of salvation to ourselves, to each other, God. Help these songs that we sing be more and more real in our hearts, in our minds, God. Every day, week by week, as we gather together to, to serve you, to follow you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.